0: Speaking of the word, let's read some from. This is from the Message version of Matthew chapter 13. So, if we can put the first slide up, please. God's kingdom is like like a treasure hidden in a field for years, and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find! And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. And God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls finding one that is flawless he immediately sells everything and buys it and God's kingdom is like a fishnet cast into the sea catching all kinds of fish when it is full it's hauled onto the beach the good fish are picked out and put in a tub those unfit to eat are thrown away that's how it will be when the curtain comes down on history The angels will come and cull the bad fish and throw them in the garbage. There'll be a lot of desperate complaining, but it won't do any good. Jesus asked, are you starting to get a handle on all this? Yes, they answered. And tonight we're going to look at those three short parables that none of the other gospel writers include. Only Matthew wrote this. Maybe that's because Matthew was a tax collector and they stuck in his mind because they were all about possessions and actually things that could end up being taxed. Treasure and jewels are the first two, and then number three would be one that he'd be very familiar with because many people believe he would have been the tax collector who taxed the fishermen once they got their catch, that he would have his booth right there by the Sea of Galilee. And the first parable then addresses the hidden or buried treasure. By the way, do we believe what Jesus said about heaven? Yes, most of us here. I'm not sure everybody, so I'll ask again just in case. I'm not, you know, maybe you don't yet, and that's fine, but I just want to know that there's some people here who do. Do we believe what Jesus said about heaven? Yes. Great. Because he tells the truth, because he's the king of truth, and because he came from there. He's the king of heaven, and he's come to bring heaven to earth. And all year long, if you've been here in the evenings, we've been looking at the kingdom of heaven, haven't we? And so much of what we know about these eternal realities have come straight from the mouth of Jesus. So he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, maybe to stop it being stolen. Then in his joy, it says, he went and he sold all that he had and bought that field. So I'll ask again, do we believe that Jesus knows what eternal reality is like? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a priceless treasure. Do we understand that? That It's worth anything, he says, that you might lose or give or trade in order to get it. Now everybody knew what the story meant in Jesus' day because they didn't have banks, they didn't have savings accounts, they didn't have ISAs, they didn't have pensions or building societies or credit unions to put any money into. So what they did instead, they would get their most valuable possessions and to stop them being stolen, they would well, we know what they did because even today archaeologists still find treasure troves, don't they? Somebody will be out doing all of this tick, 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 and then they'll come across like a bag of gold or something like that. And it's, it's where people would bury the treasure for themselves and they would try and mark it so they remember where it was and nobody else would find it. And then they could come back and dig it up. But sometimes maybe there was a war, maybe there was a battle, maybe they just died and they never got to get and dig it back up again. And it could be hundreds of years later that somebody finds the treasure that's been buried. But imagine, Jesus is telling this story, somebody's out maybe walking the dog and the dog sniffs something up and then it has a little dig around and a scratch, thinks it's a bone, next thing he looks and it's not a bone at all, it's, it's a treasure box or, or a bag or whatever, he opens it up and, and you know he takes a second look and he realises what this is, it's treasure. But it's not as simple as finders keepers, losers weepers. He has to do it lawfully. He has to do, find a way to actually make himself the legal owner of the treasure and he doesn't own the land but if he buys the land he gets whatever is in the land including the treasure. So Jesus tells us that the man is so excited that he's finding this treasure, he's so excited that in sheer joy because of what he's discovered he gladly goes and sells everything that he has and we don't know if he was rich, we don't know whether he was poor but he counts the cost and to get the field, to get what's in the field, to get the treasure, he sells everything to get it. What's the point of the parable, don't miss this. Jesus was showing us there's something worth pursuing at all costs, something more valuable than anything that you could ever imagine. Something that actually, whether you, whatever you might temporarily lose or have to spend or give to get that, it can actually seem like a joy, like that is the best bargain ever. No matter what the cost, no matter what you might have to trade or temporarily lose to keep and get hold of that treasure, you're going to say it's worth it. To bring the story up today, the kingdom of heaven is like... You're house hunting and the estate agent takes you to this scruffy old house and nobody wants to buy this house and it's a real mess. But then you walk in and there on the kitchen wall is a painting, it's like a Van Gogh. But it's not like a Van Gogh, you realise it is a Van Gogh. It's like an original and whoever buys the house gets the painting, gets everything too. Do you want to buy the house? But it's like, it's like £50,000 this house. You know, 60,000 pounds. Do you still want to buy the house? Anybody? Yeah. Of course you do. Of course you do, you want to buy the house. Because what's in it is something priceless, something incredibly valuable. You would gladly want to buy that house, but like I say, it's gonna cost you 50 to 60,000 pounds to buy the house, and you haven't got that kind of money, maybe, unless you sell your car, and you take like all your clothes, except the stuff that you're standing up in, to car boot sales, and you go down and you you go through all your old CDs and you you sell all of them. Even the Boyzone one that was given to you by the ex-boyfriend all those years ago. All of that, you basically look at it all and you've got to cash it all in and sell everything up to be able to get it to buy the house. And you can just about get the asking price. Would you say it's worth it? Yes. It is, it's gotta be worth it. Why would you do that? Because you're not stupid is the answer because it's worth it to be able to buy it. You'll gladly do it. you know. So the kingdom of heaven is like this. So it's like, so what if we don't have as much time to watch the TV like other people might do? So what if, if now we don't have, maybe have so much money to be able to pamper with ourselves or to get little luxuries? So, much, so what if it might cost us a little? So what if it costs us a lot to follow Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is well worth it. It's well worth it. And the second picture is very similar, but this isn't an accidental. Oh, what's that? Dig it up. Accidental find. This is about a life's pursuit. Scholars suggest that this pearl merchant, as described here, isn't a retailer but a wholesaler looking for the very best of the finest pearls that there are available. He's a very wealthy man. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This shows that there's two ways that people can get into the kingdom, or get the kingdom, if you like. Or at least it seems from our perspective that there's these two ways. Some people, they're not really looking. They're stumbling away through life in some ways, and then they somehow trip up over the truth about God and about Jesus Christ. Maybe they were actually running the other way from him in some ways, and then it's like they stumble over the message about the cross or or about the love of God in some way, and and then when they realise the truth about Jesus, they're literally now sold out for him. Some of us were like that. We weren't really looking for God, but he found us. And, and you, you know you can't even, it, the story is just, it's like a sudden thing. But other people, this is more what it's like for them, this is more like the pearl, pearl merchant, their life if you like is a search. Everybody's searching for truth, everybody's searching, searching for meaning in life and along the way their search leads them To some truths and some insights and some wisdom from various philosophies, perhaps from different religions that they might investigate, and all different kinds of things. And they're picking up bits of things there, you know, and they're comparing them. They're looking at them closely. They're doing, you know, wanting to do justice to them all. But then one day, as you're searching, you find Jesus, or actually, he finds you. And you see it. It's like, oh, he's the pearl. He's the one I was looking for all along. He's the one I've been looking for all my life. And he's simply the best, to quote Tina Turner. <laughs> and when the man finds this particular pearl, the search of a lifetime is now over. He's like, I'm done. He, he's, he's actually willing to do this. He goes, and to get that pearl, He sells all the other pearls. Can you imagine that? He clears out the whole of the rest of it to be able to raise the price to get this one pearl. He's sold out for this. It was so valuable that he wanted to purchase it and keep it as his most precious possession. So all the other pearls get sold now. They don't compare, you see, to get this one. Why? Because it's no ordinary pearl. This is literally the pearl of greatest value. And this one he's going to hang on to. He's never going to sell this one. He's never going to trade it. He's never going to do business with it. This is going to be his for the rest of his life. So whether tonight you just discovered kind of by accident or after a long search isn't the point. The point is are you sold out. Are you putting God first now? First in your time, first in your talent, first in your truth search in life, because because now you know the love of God the Father. Now you have Jesus ruling and reigning in your life. Now you're filled with the Spirit of God. And you know when you've got this that nobody and nothing can take away that assurance that your past is forgiven and your salvation is secure forever. If you know that tonight, however much you might get paid, whatever you get for Christmas, or don't, whatever the world might offer you, can't compare at all because you're rich. You're rich forever. You're richer than Bill Gates. You're richer than Richard Branson. If they've not found Jesus, and you have, one day they'll envy you intensely because you've found and then been sold out for the pearl of greatest value. Nothing can compare to finding him. Do we appreciate this? This is part of what worship's about. You know, it's why we sing these songs. It's what you value more appreciates in value, doesn't it? That's how it is, so what we're doing when we're worshiping isn't like God needs it, but there's something happening in us where we're appreciating and valuing more and more. We're like, you are the pearl, you are my treasure. This is why we worship and it raises the value in the rest of our lives so that then compared to him, all kinds of other things that might drag us away from God, they don't seem to matter as much anymore. They sort of fade into the background. When we have Jesus, Everything else that might be out there that might entice us away and anything else that the world offers kind of pales in comparison to him. In 1864, in Wardle, near Rochdale, a woman called Helen Lemmel was born. She was the daughter of a Methodist pastor. When she was 12, they moved to America. She loved music. She had a beautiful voice, but she had many heartaches in her life. Years later she returned to Europe from America to study vocal music and in Germany for four years there she met and she married a very wealthy man. But one day it was like the world seemed to get darker around her and she was diagnosed that she had an incurable eye condition. And she was told that this was gonna come on rapidly and she would eventually go completely blind and her husband couldn't handle it and he immediately divorced her. And she ended up in America and struggling in all kinds of ways and then one day a missionary friend read to her a small pamphlet that said that a line in it just said if we focus on jesus earthly things in life would will, will end up being dimmed by his radiance and she wrote later that when she heard these words she says suddenly as if commanded to stop and listen i stood still singing in my soul and spirit was the chorus of him With not one conscious moment of trying to put word to word or make rhyme or note to note, I made a melody. Do you know what that blind lady wrote? Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant than free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You probably saw in the news just recently the uh, painting, the lost painting of Jesus, the, uh, the savior of the world for many years and then in, in 1958 it was sold at a clearance sale for 48 pounds and then just the other week it was auctioned for 382 million pounds. The real Jesus is worth way more. Way more to us than that, he's priceless. If you have Jesus, you have everything In this life If you don't have him It doesn't matter What you have If you have Jesus Don't ever swap The pearl of great price For anything Or anybody else For something fleeting And temporary In this life See everybody loves a bargain don't they That's why people go crazy for what we've now come to know as Black Friday. I'm not a killjoy, I actually like shopping. I bought this shirt the other day. (laughs) I'm like the weird man who actually likes shopping. But as I look at what happens to people, and I can get caught up in it too in the run up to Christmas, I see people all around me on the hunt for the greatest bargain, for the latest phone, or whatever it is. They come home with bags full and pockets Empty, with a hunger that can't be satisfied by anything that you can buy in the shops or anything you might decorate your house with or put in your cupboards for Christmas. The preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse seven, said, "All men's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied." Some theologians, because in a moment we're going to look at we look at heaven, we're going to try and keep focusing on heaven, but we're, Jesus also talks here in about hell. Some theologians in history have believed that hell will be a place where you know what you want and have what you need and yet are never satisfied with it. But if that's the case, many people are living in a daily form of hell right now and that's just going to carry on for them. The nearest that they'd ever get to heaven in this life would be the life that they're living now because the outside's full, but the inside's empty. Nothing will ever satisfy them. No amount of eating, drinking, buying, spending, getting will ever satisfy them. To have more and more and yet be unable to be satisfied is a daily kind of hell. But the truth is, the Bible says, actually, hell is even worse than the Trafford Centre at Christmas. (laughs) We've looked all year in these evenings at the kingdom of heaven. How heaven is invading earth and one day Jesus' prayer will be answered and the kingdom will come as God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven it will happen. Amen. And I believe in heaven and I love to talk about heaven and I want people to get the hope of heaven. And I believe what Jesus said about heaven, do you? Yes, yes great, still do, that's good. And I believe in hell too and I believe what Jesus said about it too, do you? Yes. I didn't say do you like it. I believe the warnings. You see, Jesus describes hell as being a real, terrible, scary place that lasts forever. Why? And why, why, why? Sorry. Why do I believe that? I believe that because that's what Jesus consistently described it as in various places, and he does it here by way of contrast, if you like, with the with the heaven pictures. The very next verse after encouraging us to live fully for heaven, to sell up, to say no to, to actually despise everything that might stop us from getting that, after those two pictures of it is he pictures hell and Matthew, as I say, who wrote this down probably remembered it and he remembered the other two because he was a tax collector until one day he left it all behind, remember, to come and follow Jesus. Once he would have rubbed his hands at the idea of treasure in a field and pearls and all of that kind of thing but now he's got something better and, and once he would have had the booth by the Sea of Galilee he would have taxed the fishermen who brought the fish and including probably some of the rest of the 12 apostles because that's what they did they were commercial fishermen weren't they? So in the third story they've got the next picture a little bit too clearly for comfort perhaps and never forgot it either verse 47 once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish say all kinds when it was full the fishermen pulled it up on the shore then they sat down and separated the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes. Yes. (laughs) They replied. See these guys love nets. They were always cleaning the nets weren't they? Whenever you find them they're mending nets, cleaning nets. Jesus talks to them about something they'll understand to help them to get something that maybe they haven't yet understood and he wants to make sure they understand. He He talks about the kingdom of heaven. And, the, and, and how that works, and obviously how hell works too. And he used the picture of a net, a huge, what they call, scene net. We've got a picture of one now, and kind of uh, the way this can work. Where it's like this is in a lake. You get weights on one end and, it, and floats on the other, and it hangs down vertically, and it kind of it's a dragnet. It goes all the way through the water dragging all along the bottom it pulls everything in, in out of the lake then the fishermen throw away the willies and the you know bicycle wheels on one side or whatever and then they start to go through the fish and they're looking for the ones that they can sell the commercial ones they determine which ones are marketable and they put them on one pile then they get the rubbish fish nobody wants to eat nobody's going to it, and they put them on another pile to be burned says to the fishermen do you get it and they're fishermen so they get it because they do this But remember what Jesus wanted to do all the way through was to teach them how to be fishers of men. So what he's trying to do here is trying to make a parallel that will help them to know how important it is for us to be fishers for people. Because he wanted them to understand something more than just about temporary things like fishing. He wanted us and them to get eternal realities in place. So here's what they are. First, everyone who ever lived will be brought to judgment according to this. Someday, next, pa- next uh, slide please. Someday, it says fish of every kind, every nationality, every kind of person from every period of history. Like every fish will be gathered up. It's a dragnet. It's not a hook and line one at a time. Every fish will end up on the beach and every person will stand before a holy God. The Hebrew says it's appointed unto a man to die once and after that comes judgment. In the day of judgment, Everybody will stand there, including me and including you. Second, there'll be a process of separation. Next one, please. The fish are sorted out and people will be sorted out too. This is in so many passages of scripture this is talked about. Not everyone will get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus actually said, even some people who say, Lord, Lord, won't find themselves entering into the kingdom. He'll say, I never knew you. Now the Bible says, you might be thinking, what kind of God does that? But the Bible says actually he's not willing that anybody should perish. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everybody to come to repentance and to know the truth. But in the end, every person will end up in one of two places. The kingdom of heaven, marvelous beyond our wildest imagination, for every person who's been freely saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ whether by accident or searching for it somehow they find him or he finds them and then they realize how much it cost Jesus upon the cross that he would shed his blood to purchase them to die for them to save them and so when that happens you say that's it I count the cost I'm going to follow you For the rest of my life, I'll be sold out to you. Lord, you will now be my treasure. You will be my pearl. You will be what I I am after in life, my goal and my vision in this life and the next. It's all about you. You will be my vision. You will be my direction. It's costly, but I'm willing. It's worth it. That's what a, a Christian disciple is. It's not just somebody who wants to pray a little prayer. Please, Jesus, forgive my sins, amen. It can include that, but it's more like ah, oh, counting the cost, laying down the life, taking up a new one. They've put his mission first in life and they've done it gladly. They've been said, I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything, whatever it takes. I'm seeking first the kingdom. They've turned their back on the world and turned their eyes upon Jesus and looked full in his wonderful face. They've got the treasure now. They knew it was worth giving up and losing everything else to get him. They've got the pearl, they wouldn't trade him for the world. They're sold out for Jesus. They've got the kingdom, nobody can take it away. But Jesus says there will also be those, and we have to search our hearts here, You could have all kinds of treasures in this world, All kinds of pearls, but they've not got him. They've not been saved. I I know what, I was like that once. I know exactly what it's like. And I would have thought of myself as being a good person that probably deserves to get heaven. I was good enough anyway compared to the baddies that I would arrest when I was in the police. They were the baddies I was a goody. But this says the net will catch, I believe, some very bad people who think, who think that I probably deserve this and there'll be some other people who will think, what am I doing here in this net and how come I'm gonna be, you know, I obviously should be in the good pile. Very nice people, the kind of people who, who everybody says, oh, they'd do anything for anybody. You know people say that about people, don't they? Oh, we do anything for anybody. No, they wouldn't. Nobody does anything for anybody. The net will contain church-going people who sang in the choir, whose name was on a members list somewhere, who sometimes put their hand in their pocket and put some money in the plate when it came out. But they weren't sold out for Jesus. They didn't seek first the kingdom of God, but they expected to get it. And the warning here is that instead of getting the kingdom of heaven, they will receive judgment and condemnation for their offences against a holy and righteous God for rejecting his gracious offer of forgiveness and full salvation that's been bought for them in blood and extended to everybody through the life and death and resurrection of his son. But they trusted in their own righteousness instead. And they turned their back on Jesus and faced the world Instead and said I'm going to live for the world. And they sold out to it. Not to him. And we've all got to search our hearts now. The Bible actually says search your hearts to see if you're in the faith. Imagine how Jesus, imagine Jesus looks at those disciples and he asks them the question. Have you understood these things? And he said, yes. Have we understood these things? As I say, I've loved it all year talking about the kingdom of heaven. I wish that was all I could talk about, how one day we will be resurrected. We will have physical resurrection of our bodies. We will be perfected in those bodies. We'll have no limitations. There'll be no sickness, no disease. No limitation, no pain. Perfect community. Perfect fulfilment. Unbelievable purpose and meaning and life and joy everlasting. But the Bible tells me I've got to preach the whole counsel of God, even the bits that I don't like to talk about. And I can't just tear out the pages, even though I don't like talking about hell, even though I don't like to think about it, even though I can't read the clear statements of scripture and come to the conclusion that some people I love are headed that way. So I want to ask you, as if Jesus just told the parable to you, do you really believe in a hell? as well as a heaven? Or have you done your best to block it out of your mind and not have to think about it? Because if Jesus wanted you to do that, he wouldn't have put it in the Bible. The problem is you can't read your Bible very far and very much without being confronted by the fact that Jesus believed in a real place called heaven that lasts forever and a real place called hell that he described as seeming to last forever too. Nobody taught about it more than he did because he knew that most of us, humanly speaking, would desperately try to block it out of our minds. It's a very discomforting thought but Jesus taught frequently about it and so did the other Bible readers, uh, biblical writers too. And you know what, even if you weren't going to rely on scripture, if you and me could spend just half an hour sitting down together having a coffee, I might not convince some of you, but you couldn't convince me that if there is a completely holy, righteous God who governs the universe, if there's any sense of justice that we all share, that there are things that happen that I see in this world and I've seen over the years that would make me not just believe in it, everlasting heaven but also that there needs to be a hell and that there needs to be one that lasts forever too. I saw an interview with a woman whose daughter had been brutally raped and then murdered and the man who did it rang her while he was doing it and laughed and when he was in court he laughed at the mother and he laughed at the judge and afterwards the mother was asked whether they thought they should bring back the penalty death penalty and she said no but life should mean life. And he should live every day and be punished every day for the rest of his life for what he did. She didn't want him to just get off, you see, with a a quick annihilation. For her, justice demanded a lifetime of incarceration and imprisonment. I was watching QI the other night and they talked about hell and it was all rather funny to the guys on the show. And people, you talk about hell, and you know, when I even put something on Facebook about it, I half expected some guys who I know because I've got, you know, people who aren't believers too as friends, kind of putting things on as a bit of a joke about hell or whatever, you know, all that stuff about I'd rather be in hell with my mates than be in heaven with the saints. You know, that kind of thing. Like hell's just going to be going, like going to your favourite pub and there'll be no closing time. But Jesus. And the Bible are the authoritative source for such eternal realities, not QI and not any mates down the pub. And he consistently would use frightening language and pictures to communicate what hell is like. So anybody who'd listen would turn away from the broad road, he said that is leading to destruction, and turn to the narrow road that leads to life. While we still can. Because the Bible consistently portrays a, a spiritual, physical and emotional anguish kind of a place. Jesus said there'll be a blazing furnace. In other places he talks about fire and heat whenever he describes it. And in it, he says, there'll be gnashing of teeth. And I never really understood that phrase until I was reading one biblical scholar who said actually we, we all know what the gnashing of teeth thing means. He said, have you ever heard this sound? Ah! And I thought, yeah, I've heard that sound when I was making cheese on toast. And I left it in <laughs> and I could smell the smoke. And I was like, ah, it's like too late. You know, next time I'll set an alarm or do something, I'll stay and watch it. Or sometimes I could be in a traffic jam. The other day I turned a corner and suddenly it's like the Truman Show. This whole street everywhere is completely blocked and I've got no way back and I can't turn around. And I'm like, ah. I'm stuck. Or sometimes I'll, be, I'll think back on a talk after I've done the talk and I'll think, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Ah! And I'll gnash my teeth. And when we get something wrong now, if we burn the dinner, or if we make a wrong turn, or if we say the wrong thing, the, the thing is now, now we know something, what do we know? We know there's always a next time. We know it's not the, the end. We don't gnash our teeth for very long. We make up our minds to do something different next time. But taken as a whole, as I read it, the Bible teaches that when people find themselves in hell, part of the anguish will be a consciously expressed continual gnashing of teeth. As people go, ah, I blew it. I missed it. I lived for all the wrong things. I made all the things that weren't important most important. And I didn't wait. make what is most important at all important. Ah, Jesus was the son of God and I had the opportunity and I know my sister was praying for me and my friend told me and I rejected him and I turned my back on him and I lived for me and I lived for the world and I got that but I didn't get him. Ah! Thinking about that kind of anguish, to be honest with you, I don't want it to be like that. I wish it wasn't like that. It's almost unbearable for me to think about that, to contemplate it. people, imagining people who didn't turn their eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, but as I say, turn their back upon him and God, and God will never force his love on anybody, or else it's not real. Their choice separated them from the love and presence of God, And they walk away forever saying, how could I? Ah, how could I? Ah, how could I? Ah. I don't know who came up with the popular notion that hell is like a party that just goes on and on or an orgy, everybody's going to enjoy or something to joke about. Actually, I can guess. Who would want us to have such a picture? But there are no friends there. There is no fun there. There is no community there. There is no companionship there. The Bible talks about solitary suffering forever. That's the picture of hell that scripture paints. And the only relational thought that might seem to come to mind as you look through scripture is the one in in another parable that Jesus told that came to a rich man's mind who had ignored the poor, it says in this life, and just lived it large for himself. And one day, He's pleading, would somebody please go and tell my brothers so that they don't join me here in this dreadful place. Anything that anybody can do to stop them enduring this fate too. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, wish I'd not come tonight. How terrible. What an awful crime. What awful crime must a person have committed to warrant such pain, to go to such a place. So horrifying. That must take an awful lot of sin, a a really long list of sins that somebody commits in order to be able to deserve to be in that place. But that's only because we keep on thinking about good and bad and degrees of good and bad. We don't think about lost and found. But that's how the Bible talks about it. If I could reduce hundreds of pages of scripture on this down to a sentence, you want to end up in hell? Jesus said the ultimate crime against heaven is unbelief. Jesus said, John 3, 16, lots of us know that one about what Jesus came to do. A Couple verses on, John 3, verse 18, I'll put it up on the Amplified and you can read it, it takes a while. It says, if you refuse to believe, you're already condemned. It's not about how good you are, it's not about how bad you are, it's about Jesus. He's the pearl, he's the treasure. Have you got the treasure in your hand? Have you got the pearl in your pocket? Because Jesus is the treasure, he's the pearl. Reject Jesus, ignore him, walk away from his saving grace and his love and you seal your fate forever. That's what the writer said in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29. He said, how do you ever expect to survive if you've trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated the blood of Jesus Christ as if it were a common thing? I know some of you are dying for me to answer and say something about the question, what about all those people who never heard? Because whenever you talk about this you always get that. What about all those people who never heard about Jesus Christ? Suffice it for me to say, nobody will be condemned for rejecting a message that they never heard about. But actually we're not talking about lost tribes in South America now. We're talking about you. And you have heard. And if you've heard, you've got a response to make. Apart from them and how God deals with them. And maybe one day that will lead you to go and tell them. You tell them. That's the answer to what about those who never heard. Are you telling them? Or are you just trying to get off thinking about the whole question by saying what about those who never heard? You would know. Would you know if you had the treasure? Would you know if you had the pearl? If you don't know for sure tonight, or if you're listening to the podcast and you're not sure, if you don't know that you have that pearl of greatest price, it's God's grace that made you stumble across the truth about the kingdom now. Don't just bury it over and carry it on as if it doesn't matter. Because when we hear that there's a solution for sin, that payment, full payment has been made that can forgive us and reroute us to eternal life in heaven, instead of going on and along with all the masses for eternal life, whenever we hear that, it's decision time for you. The Holy Spirit is calling, trying to get us to kneel down, which is the appropriate position, to repent, which means turn around and go a different way and receive Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to do that. I'm going to invite you to say, from now on, you will be my treasure. From now on, you will be my prize and my goal in life. From now on, I will live for your kingdom and seek your kingdom first. And I will help others... In the strength that you give me, is I make you my, mom, my main focus, Whatever else happens, or wherever else you lead me, or whatever else I do, wherever else I go, I want to spend my life pointing and telling other people, as you give me power to, and to pray for them, and to tell them about heaven, and, about, and, and to steer them away from a Christless eternity. Whatever the cost, I'll be sold out for you, Jesus. That's what a Christian is if you're here tonight and you say you're an unbeliever my job is to do what the Apostle Paul would talk about he said I would plead with you be reconciled to God it's like I'm not beyond pleading you're not bad enough you're not good enough you need a saviour and there is one you're going to be in the afterlife a whole lot longer than this one In one place or another. Now is the time to ask for forgiveness and to ask him for the love that changes everything and lasts forever. Because for those who believe in Jesus, this life is the closest to hell that they'll ever be. If you say you're a believer tonight, as I read these words of Jesus, I was so convicted by them because I could hear him say, have you understood? And I realise at times, often I really haven't. Not when I live like everybody else, not when I make all kinds of other treasures, my treasure instead of the kingdom, not when I realise, again, how high the stakes are, the implications of his words, that this matters forever. I need to understand that the net is right now dragging through the ages of history. There's a whole mass of humanity, billions of people living right now in the world, moving towards the afterlife somewhere and the church has been ordained as being the place that is the only place for eternal rescue to take place. He's called this church to be a beacon and a lighthouse and a rescue boat and to do whatever we can do to get the word out about Jesus Christ. We're not a social club where we pay our dues and then leave the door. We're not not a performing arts venue where people come and, and sing songs beautifully and we all join in and say, isn't that great? And you're the audience and we leave unaffected. We are the body of Christ. We are called to be disciples who make disciples, anointed and empowered to show and tell our families and our friends and the people on our street and anybody who listen in our world about eternally re- eternal realities, that life is short and eternity is forever and help them understand what that means for them too. Please stand to pray if you're able. If you think it's not been easy to listen to this message, thinking about people and where they're headed forever, imagine how hard it was for me to prepare it and preach about it. I was up till one o'clock last night Finishing this off and praying it through. Why do I do it? Because I believe that heaven is real and hell is real and God paid the price through Jesus Christ to make heaven freely available to everybody and anybody if they'll just turn their eyes upon Jesus and make him their treasure. Sometimes we can lose perspective. Do you want to come up as a church as to why we do these things? Sometimes, you know, doing church is hard and nobody thanks us and we don't get noticed for the things that we do. Sometimes we can wonder, why do I bother? Why do we serve? Why do I give? Why, don't, why, don't, why do I do without? Why don't I just go and do what other people do? Why do we bother to, to be on a team? Why, why, I could think, why, do I, why do we study so hard to pre- prepare messages to put the time in and the prayer in and when there's other stuff that we can do? Why do we practice the music and all those kind of things? The reason is, it's not just a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. It's eternal life and eternal death that hangs in the balance in, in what we do here at Ivy. How important is what we're doing here as a church? How important is it to you? It's more important than anything, anywhere. Because God has ordained the church and all of you, he wants you to play a part in being that lighthouse and that rescue boat that rescue operation for the whole of the mass of humanity so the question is not are you a Christian or whatever, the question is this are you sold out fully sold out for Jesus, that's what I want to push you for tonight, nothing else nothing else is is worth it, nothing else is worthy of him, are you sold out for Jesus or are we just tagging him on I'm going to pray on my knees. You might want to pray on your knees too, if you want to. What's your your treasure? What's What's the pearls that you're looking for in life? What are the things that... You know, and some of those can be really good things. But Jesus said if you seek first the kingdom, all those other things will be added to you as well. So it's like just... Trust him for all the rest, or find out it didn't really matter anyway. Let's pray for Lord Jesus from now on, more and more and more in my life. I want you to be my focus and my treasure and my pearl of great price, my prize, my goal joy help me to live a a sold out life counting the cost of what that means if there's decisions that I've got to make help me to seek your kingdom first to put you first in every decision in everything, every relationship in every decision about my job, my family my future to honour you Help me to help other people find you. To make that more and more my focus as I realise eternal destiny is hanging the balance and we're not playing games. Lord, help me to point to you, to speak of you when I can, to do everything in my power, to pray fervently, to witness boldly, to other people, to steer them towards heaven and away from the Christless it is. Whatever it costs to be sold out for you. Whatever it means, Lord. I count the cost, lay it down before you at the cross. In Jesus' name. And now we're just going to appreciate Him. We're going to raise the value of our pearl of great price we're going to say Jesus is our treasure he's our joy if we have him we've got everything we could want we're already full you know when you go to a restaurant it doesn't matter what food there is and what they can tempt you with if you're already full and Lord as we are full of you let the things of this earth just grow strangely and